All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. Please go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8 is where we'll begin reading. Is it 3 and 8? Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, if you're there. It says, Unto me, who am blessed and least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, and whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. And then verse 13 it says, Wherefore I desire that you faint not and my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Let us bow again in prayer. God, I pray that you would lead as I speak. Give me words to say, Lord, that your spirit would work mightily in our hearts. Give us direction. Unify us even tonight as we are, as a church, listening to your word, wanting to know what your spirit would say to our church on whatever it is that you speak to us through in this scripture. God, give me the words that need to be spoken. Help our hearts be ready and willing to conform Whatever it is that you'll say to us tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I was studying these verses. I have a, uh, have a history with chapter 3 and verse 8 that I want to share with you this evening. Uh, early in the ministry when I was just about to graduate high school, I uh, met a man named Leroy Dickinson. And he was an older pastor, um, much like the story where, you know, of Brother Philomley here, uh, later in life, uh, he decided it was time to go on the mission field, and so he went and planted a church in Columbia, Missouri, and as he was preparing to make that move, I just so happened to go to some meeting where he was, and it was announced that he was looking for a young pastor to come and study under him and to work with him on the mission field, and our paths got connected that night. Um, you know, my dad came and told me that there was a man who had asked for me. I think he asked for me by name. Never met him before in my life. And, uh, and so I, I said, okay. You know, and I, I went and, and talked to him. And, um, you know, I went and prayed about it for a little while. But God made it very sure to me uh, that it was his will for me to go and, and to work with Brother Dickinson. So uh, two weeks after graduating high school, I got in my little beat-up, uh, ugly car and I uh, drove all the way up to Columbia, Missouri, and moved myself there. A couple of months later, I went and got Nikki, and, uh, and, and we brought her nice-looking car up to, uh, to Columbia. But, um, you know, I started working there with Brother Dickinson, and he became a mentor and, uh, you know, just a great influence in my life. And I became somewhat of, a, of an apprentice to him. Um, he taught me so much while I was there. I gained a lot of my preaching style and Bible interpretation, all that from, from his mentorship. And uh, he's going to be with the Lord now, and I, I really miss him. 
I consider him to be my father in the ministry. And uh, just before passing away, um, you know, he basically communicated to me that he had always looked at me uh, as his son in the ministry, which for him to say something like that was a big step. He was very reserved and uh, very reserved at compliments, things like that. It was just his personality. But I remember the first session that I had with him, and we sat down to study the Bible together. We had weekly Bible studies, but the very first one that I remember, he took me to the Bible and opened up Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. And the very first thing that he wanted to drill into my mind was chapter 3 verse 8 where it says, Unto me, who am blessed in the least of all saints, was this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And what he was wanting to get me to understand, uh, because if you ever met a young preacher, man, I was, I was cocky. I thought I knew a lot. Man, I thought I had it. I was going to go up there and teach him some things, you know. Uh, he, he probably needed some of my help and uh, things like that. I really had the attitude that I was going to be the one to help drive this thing along. And, you know, I was really important. And so the first thing he drilled to me was, unto me, even you, Anthony, was this great grace given to do what? To preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so he started teaching me humility. He taught me that through our Bible lessons. He also taught me that through many, many other ways. And uh, Brother Dickinson was one that if you went in his office, he never had to raise his voice. He could speak just like this. And by the time you left, you either wanted to die or find some little hole to crawl into. Uh, you know, he was just that kind of guy. And uh, so he, he was kind of like a preacher boot camp uh, going to work with him. But he began drilling again into me that great privilege that it was to be a pastor and to have this calling. Uh, he taught this not from his mind, though he had a very incredible mind, even, even to the point uh, just before he died, his, his mind was just remarkable. But he taught me this from the heart. Uh, this was something that he had lived, it's something he believed. And uh, he lived a life that was in constant faithfulness and gratitude to God for his salvation and ministry. And so... Today, as we look at these verses, I, it's great to be reminded of this great teacher of God's Word, this great man of God uh, that's going on to be with him. But there are things today that I want us to look at, because you see, we've also entered into a ministry. Not everybody in here has been called to be a pastor, or has been given this calling to preach in the sense that I'm preaching right now, but every one of us, you've heard this over and over again, Every one of us have been given the ministry of the gospel where we are to be proclaiming and teaching and sharing the gospel with anyone that we come in contact with. And, uh, and so my calling may be a little different than yours, but your ministry and, and your responsibility to the gospel is the very same as mine. I don't witness to people. I don't try to lead people to Christ because I'm a pastor. I do that because I'm a Christian and a church member, and you should be doing the same as well. And, uh, and so I want us to talk about this ministry that Paul was, was talking about. We have to understand that this was, as he's speaking, he's speaking about a specific ministry that had been given to him. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. We are not. But there are some similarities. There are some things that we could draw from this that I want us to look at tonight. So we're going to talk about a little bit about the ministry this evening. Now, the first thing I want to look at in verse 8 is the gift of the ministry. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, but I, want to, I do want us to look at this. 
It says in chapter 3 and verse 8, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Three things from this verse that stand out to me is, first of all, Paul's humility. Now, we know Paul to be one of the greatest evangelists, the greatest missionaries who ever lived. I mean, I've heard people say that next to Jesus Christ, you know, he was the greatest Christian that that ever lived. I don't know if that's true or not, but he definitely gained the reputation as such. He was a powerful man of God, a powerful speaker, a great missionary, planted numerous churches, led who knows how many thousands to Christ. Still influences churches today through his life and his writings. The Apostle Paul. But you know what the Apostle Paul said? He didn't say unto me, the greatest of all Christians. He didn't say unto me, the, the best of all missionaries. He didn't say unto me, uh, the, the greatest evangelist who's ever lived. He said to me, the least of all saints. Amen. Right. What does that mean? The least of all saved people. <clears throat> you find the lowest scum of the earth. That's redeemed. I'm under him. That's how he viewed himself. And I'll tell you why. Because you see, before he became the great apostle Paul, he was the great persecutor Saul. Imprisoned many Christians, led many to their death. And that stained his life and his mind for the rest of his natural life here. I believe it was a constant burden to him. And he knew the great debt that he had to Christ. He often called himself the prisoner of Jesus and a slave to the Lord and to a Savior. And he says here, in, in I believe genuine humility, that unto him of all people, the least of all saints, unto him was this great grace given. To do what? Well, that leads us to his ministry, to preach among the Gentiles. That word preach means, of course, to proclaim, to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he was, uh, he was given this ministry. He was given an apostleship. He was given a calling to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles. And we know that uh, almost more than half of the book of Acts was dedicated to following Paul on his missionary journeys and seeing how God used him to plant churches in all these Gentile villages and cities uh, westward. And then we see the message, of course, as we look at the end of verse 8, what is he preaching among the Gentiles? It says, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you say, well, what are the unsearchable riches of Christ? I don't know. They're unsearchable, right? (laughs) I I tried to explain it to you, but they're unexplainable. But the more we know of Jesus and the more we know of Christ... And the more we see of Him and the more we experience Him, the more that we're able to understand how unsearchable His riches really are. Amen. I can't tell you what a privilege it is. And I often wonder why in the world the Lord would have ever called me to this kind of ministry. And I can't explain it. But I can tell you that unto me, the least of all saints, was this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I want you to know that whether you've been called a pastor or not, whether you've been called to stand and, and preach God's word in this manner or not, 
that God has delivered this ministry of the gospel to you as well. And regardless of what your past is, what you've done, where you've been, whatever, however deep into sin you were before Christ, now He's cleaned you up. And He's given you a ministry to be used to bring other people to Jesus Christ. Man, how much better can that get? Right. To help others see and lead others to the very same Savior that you were able to experience yourself. And we look at the purpose of His ministry as we look at verses 9 through 11. Let's go ahead and read these. It says in verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now again, as we look in verse 9, it talks about the fellowship of the mystery. And in case you weren't here a couple weeks ago, we talked about what the mystery is. The mystery here is speaking of the fact that Gentile believers are to be equal heirs with the Jews. That's just simply what the mystery is. And this was something that was unknown, it was unheard of, that the Jews didn't know about this, the Gentiles didn't know about this. We're going to see a little bit later, even the angels of God did not know about this, that one day the Gentile believers, that's you and me, were going to be pulled into uh, the sonship and adoption and equal heirs with the Jewish people of the promises and the riches of Christ. And uh, that's a great, that, that's not only a great mystery, but it's a great truth to find out. I mean, that's, that's really good news when you find out that we're not on some lower class. We're not some, some undergrade people, but we are, of course, uh, we stand on equal ground as sons of God uh, with even God's chosen nation, the Jewish people. Thank God. The idea of fellowship here, when it talks about the fellowship of the ministry, or the fellowship of the mystery, excuse me, the idea of fellowship is not necessarily uh, that which we, we think of fellowship today. Now, if we talk about fellowship now, we're talking about, you know, I don't know, guys sitting around drinking coffee and, you know, shooting the breeze and telling stories, or we think about, you know, fellowship as far as Sunday school is concerned, fellowshipping and, and talking about the Word of God, or uh, most of the time when Baptists mention fellowship, we think about what? Food. Oh, eating, yeah, that's the best way to fellowship right there. Now, we could talk about God's Word, we could shoot the breeze, but it's so much better when you've got some mashed potatoes and, and, and meat and gravy in front of you, you know? And uh, so we like, we like to eat. But that is not the fellowship that it's talking about here. Now, obviously, God does want there to be fellowship between Christians, regardless of race or background. Uh, but yet, that sense of fellowship is not the issue here. Here, Paul is talking about... Again, the administration or dispensation of the mystery, just as it did up in verse 2. Now, if you look at chapter 3, verse 2, it says, If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, that word is kin to the word fellowship down in verse 9. So he's still talking about the same thing. We haven't changed subjects here. And so when we're looking at this, he talks about the fellowship of the mystery. He's talking about how he was to dispense the message of God's grace uh, to the world. And how is he to do that? Well, we see in verse 8, he did it first of all by preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ, as we just saw. And then in verse 9, by teaching the stewardship or the fellowship of the mystery of Christ. And so he had been given a, you know, a, a great task, a great job of going around and, uh, and sharing the gospel and letting Gentiles know, number one, not only has Jesus died to save you from your sins, but you're not going to just be his servant afterwards. You're going to be his son. You're going to get to 
have fellowship and, and you're going to be a joint heir of Jesus Christ. And that was just a great news to people back then. We take it lightly today, but that would have been something to them back in those days. Especially to people with nothing. Paul's ministry of the, of the mystery was not only to enlighten the minds of the people, but I want you to notice here, it was also to educate the angels of heaven. Now, this is kind of, uh, again, this is probably one of the hardest sermons I've ever had to try to put together or, and then preach and make application from. But I think there's some great things here if we can kind of uh, to get through this. The best I can make out of what we read in verse 10 uh, is that the angels beheld New Testament churches. They're looking at these churches that have been formed. They're looking at the unity that's going on. They see the blending and the unity of both Jews and Gentiles in Christ. And they were better able to understand the plan of God that had been unfolding before their eyes for centuries. Now, let's read verse 10 with that thought in mind. It says in chapter 3, verse 10, to the intent that now the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Well, wait a second. How long are you talking about angels? In other places where we've talked about powers and principalities, we've been talking about spiritual forces. And we've been talking about spiritual beings and that there is a, there is a rank and uh, there, there are some in authority, uh, you know, angels, demons, things like that. Well, here it doesn't seem to be looking at, at Satan's forces, but instead uh, looking at uh, possibly the, the very angels of God that as they beheld, as they watched, uh, this mystery unfold and this mystery be revealed that they were even learning some things that they were not aware of before. And I think this just goes to, why would Paul say this to us? Well, I think it just goes to show how hidden this mystery was, how how closed this thing was. And now there's this great revelation that uh, that all Gentiles and Jews were standing on equal grounds at the foot of the cross. It says again in verse 10, to the intent that now to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. What do we say heavenly places meant? Talking about spiritual realm. Spiritual places. It says it might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. I link this with another verse where Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. He wrote about the gospel and revelations that had been given to us. And it says those things were things which the angels desire to look into things that were now being revealed to Christians then in the New Testament were things that angels had never known about before that they had been wanting to see they had been wanting to learn and and wanting to understand and now it's being given to the church so as they beheld those things being unfolded to God's people and God's children then they were able to see and know more fully the plan and purposes of God and it, it appears to be some of the same thing that we find going on in our verses tonight. That's the best I can make out of it anyway. That leads us to the last thing, and that is the suffering of the ministry, as we read in verses 12 through 13. Let's go ahead and read those. It says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. He says, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Let me say tonight that following God always comes with a cost. If you don't get anything else from the lesson tonight or the message tonight, I want you to catch this part. Following God always comes with a cost. 
There is no following God and getting a free ride afterwards where your life is full of just fun and good things, happiness, snowflakes. That doesn't happen. If we're going to follow a holy God in the midst of a sinful world, there's going to be a cost. We're going to endure hardships. And don't you let any preacher on television tell you that you won't. We're going to suffer persecution. We're going to experience betrayal. The ones that you think are your dearest friends and closest confidants, the one that you believe is going to stand with you to the end, those are going to be the very ones that you'll write to someone later and say, they've all forsaken me. Only Luke is is left. Only Timothy is with me. They've all gone. The cost may possibly even lead us to face death, depending on, of course, the conditions around us. But regardless, there will always be some cost for obeying God. But I want to say this tonight, that whatever cost... There will be for obeying God. It will not nearly be the cost that you will pay for disobeying God. Amen. The cost of obeying God is always worth what you pay in the end. But to disobey God will lead you to cost. It will lead you to suffering. It will lead you to consequences. Immeasurable. How wonderful that even in the face of opposition or fear of persecution, though, we're able to find boldness and confident access before God. If you look at what he says in verse 12, it says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how bad it is, no matter how many have turned away, no matter how discouraged you are, no matter how belittled people make you, In Christ, there is boldness and freedom of access before God. And you know that if you go to Him as His child, if you go to Him as a joint heir of Jesus Christ, you stand before Him and you're looking to Him by faith to take care of you and your problems or your family or whatever it may be, we know that we have confident access to God through Jesus Christ. But I want you to look at how that's access. It says at the end of verse 12, by faith. By the faith of Him. I was led to a verse later this or earlier this week, excuse me. It's talking about wisdom, and I shared this with someone not too long ago, but it's talking about wisdom. It says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. But after that it says, but don't let him ask doubting. For the one who doubts, this is my paraphrase, says, let him not think that he will receive anything of God. If you're going to go to God in prayer, if you're going to stand boldly before his throne, do it in faith. Trust and believe. That God can and will do exactly what His Word tells us that He says He will. 
Based on this truth, Paul encouraged the church of Ephesus not to become discouraged at the news of his suffering. Look at verse 13. It says, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Uh, remember that Paul was writing this letter not from some cushiony house uh, somewhere by, the, uh, by the, the lake or the river. But he was writing this from a prison cell. He was in chains right there with some guard watching the door. He was in prison. You know, what I love about Paul is that he never encouraged the church to do something that he was not already surrendered to doing himself. There's some things in the Greek language that tell us, you'll, you'll see it as you read through. It'll say, let us do this. Let us do that. Let us go on and, and pray this way or let us go on and follow this way or let us uh, pursue this or, or that. And every time that Paul says, let us, what I find interesting in that is a command. It's not an encouragement, it's a command. It is imperative. You go and do, but I want you to notice that it's an imperative saying, I'm already doing this. So as I'm already praying this way, or I'm already living this way, or I'm already going this way, it commands them to join him as he follows God. Listen, leaders and teachers, let's not ever ask our people to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. I love Paul's attitude towards his suffering. Notice that he didn't look at the discomfort of his prison cell, but at the glory and gain that God was able to work through his discomfort. Yes, he was in prison, yet God had been accomplishing just as much through Paul in prison as he ever had while he was on the road. You know that multitudes were gathering at that prison cell to hear Paul teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And most of the letters that he wrote that we're reading through and and churches are being taught and exhorted through today were written from those prison cells. Paul said, I don't want you upset about me. I don't want you worrying about or feeling bad for me. He said, because I'm here for your benefit and your glory. They were not to mourn over Paul's problems, but to glorify God for his goodness. Listen, our culture is very self-centered today. You ever focus that every, have you ever noticed that everything is focused on me? Everything is focused on you? Has anybody ever thought, I'm the center of the universe? Anybody ever felt that way? <laughs> like everything revolves around me. I can't believe that they would do this out here. They they not know how that affects me. (laughs) Chances are they probably don't even know you exist. But somehow we all kind of have the self-centered, world revolves around us attitude that we are are it and we are what everybody and and even God. You know, how could you do this? You don't know how it affects me. And we don't see God and we don't see his bigger work and his bigger plan. I was thinking about the English language. You know, every pronoun is lowercase except one. He, she, it, lowercase. You know what's capitalized? I. That tells us what we really feel about ourselves. Big I, little you, little them. But you know that has no place in Christianity. And has no place in God's kingdom or His church or agenda. 
There can't be any eyes. It has to be Him, and it has to be us. Amen. I love what one commentator said. I just copied this, and I want to read it to you. It said, Biblically, the focus is never on the believer, but on believers. Western Christianity has magnified the individual to the exclusion of the corporate body. That's why we don't care what the church thinks, where the church wants. We don't care what our brother feels. We're worried about me. I. This is what I want. This is what I want to see. Christians are to be priests in an evangelistic and corporate sense, not an individual privileged position. It is true that human Humans become believers individually, but Christianity is a corporate experience. That's why when Jesus taught, I want you to notice He didn't teach us to say, My Father who is in heaven, but how did He teach us to pray, Our Father who is in heaven. So that my prayer is not centered on me, but it's centered on God, His kingdom, His church. What we need to pray for is not that we would find out how Everything is supposed to be catering to us, but find out where we fit out, fit in in the body, and how we're to be functioning and serving God in the church. We've got too many long rangers, too many island Christians, but we're supposed to be a community working together. Right. Amen. Paul understood that his life and ministry was not secluded from the rest of what God was doing in his kingdom and churches. And so he was able to be content where God had him, even in a prison cell, because he knew it was working together for the benefit of many believers. I want to say in closing that as a church, God wants to use us for the advancement of his kingdom through the spread of the gospel. But in order to accomplish that, God may have to draw us away from the comforts of our recliners, from our preferences, from our traditions, maybe even our routines. I'm learning that we can't stay where we are and go with God. We've got to move. We've got to obey. It's going to take faith and obedience, but if we want God to use us, it's imperative that we follow Him regardless of what He says, regardless of how He leads. Listen, ministry is hard. If you want to start leading your co-workers to Christ, if you want to lead your family to Christ, it's going to be hard. You're going to get some awful things said to you. You know, awful things done to you. People are going to tell you to leave you alone. They'll say, that's not for the workplace. Don't talk about this here. They're going to tell you at school that, hey, you know, you could say this and that, but don't, don't be doing this. I'm going to tell you something. The ministry is hard. But I want you to know that unto you, God has given this great grace to preach among the Gentiles, preach among your family and your friends and your acquaintances the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's going to be a cost for you to follow God in doing that, but it's well worth it. Let's be faithful in what God has called us to do. Let's be unified in our prayer and efforts as a church. And let's pray for God to work all of that out in our hearts and minds together.